This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Here we are, another edition of the opening kickoff. Thanks for uh, hanging with us on this Wednesday morning. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP for the next three hours. And you guys can jump in at 694-1055. And, of course, you can always get us in the app at WNSP.com. Good morning. It is indeed morning. And congratulations to the McGill-Tulin Yellow Jackets and to the other teams that won yesterday to continue on. And we'll get to them in the scoreboard. Bruce Pearl said last night's game against uh, Missouri prior to tip-off was a must-win. And the the team certainly lived up to that. They went out there. I think they were leading by close to 40. I finally turned the game off when it was about 33 or 34 points with a few minutes to go and turned to the Celtics-Milwaukee game, which was really, really good. But uh, Auburn needed a signature win in a sense because Missouri is considered an NCAA team. And it's just remarkable to me, not that Missouri lost at Auburn, but how they lost. They play a crazy style of basketball. Mark, I guess I guess from a recruiting standpoint, it, it's you can go out and get guys to play that style, but there is no style. It's just run up and down and first one open shoots. Yeah, I mean, um, if this is the if this is the Auburn team that Bruce Pearl is going to have moving forward, I mean, I I certainly wouldn't want to play them. How how much? Now I don't know how much that was Auburn kind of waking up and how much it was just a bad night. Uh, for for their opponent, but man, when they're when they're good, they're really good. But you know what's interesting? Like, you remember when Alabama got stomped on by Oklahoma, and everybody was wondering, well, could they come back? And they did, and they just blasted the next team. Same thing. Now, obviously, Auburn was in a very very emotional and hotly contested game against Alabama, but they lost at home the other day, and here they come out two days later and beat what is considered a, a good Missouri team. I wouldn't say a great Missouri team, but a good Missouri team, good enough to be considered for the NCAA tournament. And then, like I said, we talked about this yesterday, that Auburn was slipping. They were slipping in the uh, in the brackets, uh, and there was a chance if they didn't turn it around because they had lost like five out of six games, arguably very close games, down to the final couple of minutes, losing by three or four points, but still those losses mounted up. They needed a win like this. They got it. Whether this is enough to put them over the top, I think, still remains to be seen. I still think they could use another uh, signature win. Boy, a lot of news going on with the NFL. Derek Carr is now a free agent. You knew this was going to happen because had the Raiders not let him go, they would have been on the books for over $40 million. So that doesn't kick in, and now he can go out and make his own deal. Good for him. Hopefully it'll be... Black Somewhere in Louisiana. Gold. Yeah. That's the guy I wanted. I hope they get him. There'll be other teams, obviously, uh, poning up, trying to get him to come and join them. So that remains to be seen. I, what I think is going to be a very one of the better free agent stories in the NFL. For the first time since 2016, an NFL team has lost both coordinators. The Eagles coordinators are getting head coaching jobs. Uh, Jonathan Gannon. These are not exactly household names. Uh, defense coordinator Jonathan Gannon goes to Arizona and Steve uh, Shane, I'm sorry, Shane Steichen 
takes over the the Colts. I think, Mark, one story that's certainly uh, provoking a lot of interest, probably not in the best way. Georgia is losing their offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. Obviously, the last couple of years, he's been remarkable uh, calling plays for Georgia and Stetson Bennett. He's going to the Ravens. So Georgia reached out and promoted offensive analyst Mike Bobo to offensive coordinator. And already there's been a lot of reaction to this, Uh, probably maybe more so negative, although I can't confirm that. Bobo was on the staff. He's been at Auburn. You remember he was fired by Harson early on, offensive coordinator. He's been a head coach at Colorado. For some reason, I don't know if the Georgia fans are really thrilled about this. Yeah, well, uh, I, I guess we have a co- we have a we have a program in 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 this state that that can probably relate to the idea of not being thrilled about coordinators uh, on staff or or new ones being hired. But yeah, it. Uh, it's it's a I'm trying to think of the last time a uh, a college coordinator got hired straight to the as an NF, to an NFL coordinator position. Um, when I saw that, I started thinking about it. I couldn't come up with anything right off the top of my head. You know, it, it's it, when you you follow a story as long as the Munkin story was going on, there were many out there who who said he wouldn't leave Georgia. Yeah. And then, obviously, he did. And he's going to now, I guess, if everything goes well with Lamar Jackson, he'll be uh, in, trusted with trying to come up with plays to make the Ravens a better offensive team, which they were not. Greg Roman, who had been there, but let's face it, in fairness to Roman, I mean, Jackson was out most of the year. You had a quarterback who threw two touchdown passes, Hudley. So it wasn't exactly like he was surrounded but terrific talent. Yeah, he didn't have a whole bunch of toys there to play Not with. Not at all. So Munkin left a nice cushy job at Georgia where, to be frank, how much better could he have done? He, he was on the, uh, uh, the the offense coordinator's position for two national titles. I think he was like assistant coach of the year. He had a lot of weapons to deal with. Probably we'd have uh, quite a few coming back. But uh, he wants to test the market and go into the NFL. Uh, speaking of uh, coordinators, I had mentioned during the week that Major App- Applewhite was a contender or a candidate or at least talked to about the Miami job, but that's going to uh, Shane Dawson. So uh, Major Applewhite still at South Alabama. Dawson hired by Miami from Houston. A um, couple of other stories. In the wake of the New Mexico State uh, cancellation of the men's basketball season because of hazing, their head coach has been fired. Certainly yeah. no surprise there. Yeah, what, after one year? Yeah. Or not less, even one year. Less than one year. I mean, how well, do you like that on your resume? This, this goes back even further, though. Earlier in the year, we didn't talk much about it because, let's face it, New Mexico State's not in our uh, yeah. listening area. It's not in our wheelhouse. No. They had a player on their team who shot and killed a uh, an individual from another school. Police called it self-defense. But at the time, and I don't have all the details handy, and, and I don't know if it's worth even getting too deep into this because it happened a couple of months ago. So the coach, the, the, the police wanted to talk to, like, members of the team or, let's say, those traveling, and he got the team out of there in a hurry. So they didn't, they didn't really become part of the investigation. So this was hanging over his head to begin with. And then you get you get these hazing allegations that are going on. So the program basically is wiped out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a complete and total cluster. Um, and it was probably the right move just to say, you know what, we're done. So the league's going to just forfeit the games. They're not going to be made up. It, they just count as forfeits. And, of course, the coach has to go. I mean, they're two very separate incidents. But here's the thing I've never understood, and, and, and maybe you guys can help me out here. What? When did ha I mean hazing's been around for years, but I've never understood the idea of picking on, beating up on, or some so some way harassing a teammate, and it being some sort of team building experience. You know, I've never understood that. You know, in the NFL, it, it was kind of a ritual where right. for rookies were picked on and and so forth. I don't know if that goes on much anymore. Maybe it does. But in college, I was never aware of it. And, of course, traveling like you did for, like, 50 years, you know, I'm not exposed to stuff like that. I never saw it. Like, you know, I go back when freshmen were asked to carry bags and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that big kind deal. of stuff, sure. Yeah, big deal. But some of the stuff that went on with New Mexico State was really out of bounds. Yeah. I mean, really over the edge. So obviously the coach has to go. There's no way in the world he couldn't have known about this, yeah. uh, and, and and the assistants also. So it's kind of sad. I, obviously it's going to be a, a real black mark on his coaching resume if he tries to get another job. But again, I go back to the shooting incident too, and I and I think also Mark, I may be you know totally off base on this, but I think when the the president or whoever chancellor the president decided to disband. The team uh, disband the season. He's looking at the type of guys this guy recruited, right? Or at least were there. I mean, you know, I, I, say what you want, but a head coach, and I don't know if he recruited all these players because, as you pointed out, it was only a one-year coach. But still, they're under his watch, and you expect a lot more from your head coach to try to keep your players intact and not have them go off and, and do crazy things like this. Yep. Uh I trust everybody had a uh, successful. Everybody out there had a successful Valentine's Day. But I certainly want to hear any of your. Uh, well, we want to hear your success stories for sure, but also want to hear any uh, potential failures you might have encountered along the way. Uh, made it a little bit difficult. I did. I did have to run to the store for a couple things, and there were a number of folks in there buying. Did you? I don't. Have you been? Were you at the store at any point? No, Man, I, I avoided that. People making a rush for flowers and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I thought about you because that was your big. What well, was one of your tips? Was don't buy online. Go to the uh, go to the grocery. Go to certain grocery stores, and they can hook you up. But boy, people were people were coming out in droves. You must have been listening Middle, to the show. I, I guess so. The. Uh, Shervanian tips of, for success. But, uh, yeah, we want to hear from you today. I thought uh, some of the – I mean, I hope we can get this. Uh, Aaron Rodgers on his podcast, uh, not his, but on with Pat McAfee, really came out and blasted NFL insiders. Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter, he said, look, he said, the, these people, they probably do a very good job, but they're not in my inner circle. Don't believe they're fake news. Apparently, they had come out and said some things about Aaron Rodgers and maybe going to another team and so forth. Rodgers says, anybody in my circle who talks to these so-called insiders is not my circle anymore. And he was pretty adamant about it. I heard it on the way in. I'm hoping Nick can maybe grab that audio bite because, you know, normally I just pass off some of the stuff he says and it just goes in one ear and out the other. But this is the first time I've heard anybody really take a, a shot 
at the so-called NFL insiders. Well, if people who are in his in, inner circle are talking to these guys and are no longer in his inner circle, then that would indicate that the insiders that they're talking to, or like these insiders are actually accurate with some of their reports, right? Not according to Rogers. So the guys that are talking to him who are in his inner circle are giving out bad information. And the reason I bring his name up, because we mentioned about Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is probably going to go on one of these publicity tours now. And he's already been to New Orleans last week. I'm sure he'll visit some others. But the other big story really is Aaron Rodgers. Do the Packers unload him? Do the Packers say goodbye and let him go off? Uh, there's obviously there's rumors that, you know, maybe the Jets would like to have him, but who knows? Maybe that they'd like to have Derek Carr instead because of the age difference. So those are two quarterbacks. I guess we'll be watching closely to see what happens and who they go to. And like you, Mark, I'm hoping Derek Carr winds up in New Orleans. All right. So, uh, that's just a little idea of what we got going on. Uh, Jarius Jackson, the Viger coach set to join us at 630. We'll talk some basketball. Paul Feinbaum at 7, the voice of the Hawks, Bob Rathbun at 7.30. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide. There's a big game tonight. Uh, and then Richie Riley said to join us at 8.30. By the way, we have uh, a number of things to give you guys. There's some Chick-fil-A today. We continue our, our WNSP Days of Revelry today as well. But let's get you started with the scoreboard, traffic, and weather. We are off and running on a Wednesday edition it's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us. This is Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Well, tonight, um, I, you know, I don't like having to talk about whether well, this is a must win. But, you know, I always told you guys, we're going to be honest with you, and I'm going to be honest with my team. Um, you know, we got a chance to finish, you know, tied for third or fourth tonight, or we could finish eighth or ninth after the outcome tonight. That's just the, the reality of it. And so I wanted my guys to understand that. They did. Um, I was really, really um, proud of the guys because they'd worked so hard the last couple weeks we played better, um, but with no reward. And then you stack on top of it. Another good team coming in. Another 622, welcome in. That's the voice of Auburn coach, or what's left of the voice, uh, Bruce Pearl. Sounds like he had a rough night uh, trying to communicate throughout the course of the day. But Auburn absolutely just took it to him last night. Um, so, Mark, as I look at the Auburn schedule now, and again, I'm not, they're not so much on the bubble yet. Had they lost, I think they would have been very close. They have Vanderbilt. That's a, a road game. It's going to be tough to win there. They do host Ole Miss. They should win. They then go to Kentucky, and I can't figure Kentucky out. Uh, I, I really can't. Right now, they're on the verge of not being in the NCAA tournament. Then they go to Alabama, which I think is going to be very, very difficult to win. And then they host Tennessee. So you look at certainly the Alabama game, the Tennessee game, and Kentucky, those three games to finish up, not easy games at all. Uh, so there's a little aftermath, a little Super Bowl aftermath on old social media there. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, by the way, throwing out a little Valentine's Day love. I don't know if you guys saw this. So 
He uh, he says Happy Valentine's Day, and he's got a picture of uh, James Bradbury, the the guy that committed the late hold with the with. It, on a, it, it almost looks like one of those elementary school Valentine's Day cards, you know, you pass around to everybody. It's got the two in the from on it. It's got him on it with the words, I'll hold you when it matters most, which is pretty clever, quite frankly. And um, so A.J. Brown kind of clapped back and things got a little intense there on social media. A.J. Brown telling, uh, telling him, congrats, y'all deserve it, all that good stuff, but this is lame. You were out of the league before Mahomes resurrected your career. Uh, started talking about TikTok boy, and uh, he admitted that he grabbed you, but don't act like uh, don't don't act that way. And congratulations again. And so, like, they got into it, um, and it makes for great content. Makes for great content. How about that? You know, Patrick Mahomes is make, making the rounds now because he's the MVP. He went to Disney. He went on Jimmy Kimmel. A statement I thought was kind of interesting. He was asked if he witnessed the Rihanna show. He says, no. Coach Reed emphasized in the locker room at halftime, nobody and nobody was to be allowed to leave the locker room to go watch this show. And if you did, you keep walking because you would not play in the second half. Last God. night for uh, dinner, I had uh... <laughs> Dude, do you really think... Do you think that if uh, Patrick Mahomes, for instance... I'll just use Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes left the locker room to go watch Rihanna, Andy Reid would have been like, no, bro, you're on the bench. There's no way. There's no, no way he would have been like, Mahomes. yo, can I come too? Yeah. Yeah, there's no way he would have uh, he sat him. When when players go to Disney World right after the Super Bowl, do they shut it down for just them, or are they like walking amongst the common folk? I think they're walking among the common folk. I don't think they shut it down. They they're too invested in getting money. They're not going to shut it down. I think they. Uh, I do think they get priority. Uh, Oh, they got that, like, super fast pass? Yeah, you know, everybody gets excited because you used to be able to get that fast pass, right, so you can skip the line. Now you gotta, now you got to get a fast pass for the fast pass line. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it's also the, the PR value. People are there, and they can have their pictures taken and things like that. So I think that all is hand-in-hand. Hand. I, don't, I don't know how long they stay. I don't know if it's, like, a whole day and you stick around for the parades at night or what. But uh, because he see, I don't think that's the case because it seemed like he was there a very short time. And, and then he had to go on the, the Jimmy Kimmel show last night. So I don't see how he could get it all done in one day or maybe two days. Hmm. And does he have like a jet waiting for him? Well, Kimmel, Kimmel's in L.A. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think I think he went to Disneyland, not Disney World. Right. Mm. That's where he went. He went to Disneyland, which is close by. I relatively speaking compared to the other place in Florida. And I've been to both, so... We need, to, we need to start mixing it up. I don't know what Disney's paying for this lifetime Super Bowl sponsorship deal. But let, let's announce that we're going somewhere else. Six Flags. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm going to Six Flags. I'm going to Dollywood. Yeah. Now you're talking. I'm going to Waterville. And Dar you Waterville. <laughs> going to Gulf Shores. <laughs> yeah. See you at the track. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to the track. That's a good call. They don't. I mean, they don't. Do they? They don't pay the NFL. They don't pay the Super Bowl, right? I they mean, have to. 
But it, there's no commercial. That is the commercial. But it's like a live read. Well, remember this, and again, I, I don't have details, but Disney is tied into ESPN, and ESPN is tied into the NFL, you know, with the networks and all that, and ABC. So, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the agreement. Uh, you know, D- Disney owns all that stuff. I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, how that works out. I can't imagine Disney forking over a lot of money uh, for that. I, obviously, they get a lot of publicity out of it. And uh, Nick's got a good point. Maybe change it up a little bit. Go somewhere else. Could you see Dolly Parton coming out on the stage after? <laughs> How y'all doing? <laughs> no, but they don't. They didn't actually do the um, the actual commercial, right? The whole yeah. They, did they? I didn't see no, it. No, they didn't. They okay. Didn't. Yeah. Lee, if you uh, won the Super Bowl, where would you go and spend your vacation right after? Well, I've been to both Disney, Disney, so it wouldn't be there. I have to give it some thought. I, I'm trying to think of places I haven't been before. You could go someplace you've already been. There's nothing. There's no, no, there's no shame. I like in that. to go different places. I, I like to go places I haven't been. I'm going to Mobile. All the on places. The ship. All the places he named, I've been to. So. What about you, Nick? Where are you headed? Hmm. Probably go home and go to sleep. Oh, maybe Japan. That's random. But I, I did ask, so... I've always wanted to go there. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe China. I mean, I did speak Chinese for a <laughs> year of my life. Yeah. Past tense. Let's talk some high school basketball next. Jerry Staxon. <laughs> It. Muscala defending. Giannis kicks it. Connaughton passes up a three. Holiday for three. It's good. Drew Holiday puts the box up two. 632. Thanks for hanging with us on this Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee. Yeah, Drew Holiday had himself quite a night. I think he uh, matched a career high with three pointers. He had eight of them. He led the Milwaukee Bucks to the win over Boston. Holiday had, uh, I think, uh, 40 points or more in that game. And then he also had a, uh, a three-pointer near the end of the third quarter, like from about 50 feet away or something like that. He really had a good game. Keep in mind, Boston was playing without four starters, and they're on the road, and they took that game into overtime. A lot of good basketball played around this area last night, and one of those games was Viger and BC Range. Arias Jackson is the head coach of the Viger Wolves. Jarius, good morning. How are you today? Uh, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. So tell us about your two-point win last night. What did it come down to? Uh, it came down to defense and the fundamental plays and free throws, uh, which we did not do well from the free throw line, but our defense kind of pulled us through, and our wheel pulled us through too, and I have to give a lot of credit to my seniors. I, have four, I only have four seniors. And all of them made crucial plays coming down the stretch of that game. And so I was very proud of them for that. When you get to this point of the year, it, it, I mean, everything, no no one wants to go home. So BC Rain, they fought extremely hard. It was a heavyweight fight back and forth. They didn't want to go home, but our defense was able to pull us through and we were able to get the two-point win. Did that come down? Did the game come down to the last shot? Like, did the Red Raiders have a shot yeah. at the – did what happened? No. Well, yeah, they did. So, what actually what happened, it was 59-59, and we got it. They had the ball, and we got a stop. 
So um, I got a timeout with about 35 seconds, and I told my guys, we need to take the last shot, and we need to make sure we take with not that much time on the clock just in case we miss. They don't have much time. So we were doing it. When we came out of the timeout, we went on the floor. We inbounded the ball. Um, we got it across. We set up our play, and time was ticking down, and it got into one of our seniors' hands, Jaden Addison. He's one of our better players, too. And he saw the lane, and he took it at about 10 seconds, a little earlier than what I wanted, and he pulled up a jumper, and he made it. And uh, he made it and left B.C. Rain with the ball with six seconds. And so um, they got a timeout, and they inbounded, and they tried to go the length of the court in six seconds, and um, they weren't able to, to convert. So that's how the game ended. Coach, if the if – the the uh, shoe was on the other foot, and, and you were BC Rain there. Do you take a timeout there to go full court, or do you grab it and go and at least get it to half court before you call a timeout? That, you, you were, that, that would be great if you could um, if you could do that. But I'm, what I'm thinking that coach was thinking, he probably didn't trust high school players sometimes in that moment. They panic, and so he probably wanted to talk about it before they go out there. That's um, just kind of tough. It depends on your team. If you got senior leaders, senior experience, that's really experience is the best teacher. Sure. So if you have a team that has been in this position before, when I say position, I'm not I'm not, not talking about that situation. I'm talking about this point in the playoffs. So a regional matchup, if you win, you get to go to Montgomery for a regional matchup. That takes experience. So if you got a team that got that experience, then, yeah, I would say, oh, inbound to go real fast, then get the timeout. You know, you can trust them. But I don't think that team had the experience, though. I believe that coach wanted to get the time out to talk to him about it first because this coach is the first – he's the first-year head coach of that team. Their head coach last year is now AD at Murphy. So that's probably what he was thinking. See, my – look, I'm not a coach, uh, Jerry, so I don't, I don't pretend to be. But having watched a lot of basketball, my theory on this is – you, you don't call a timeout. You, you just yell six seconds, seven seconds. You get down the floor. Who's got the ball? You hope your best shooter has it. You take the shot. And the reason is because when you call a timeout, it gives the other team a chance to set up their defense. And more times than not, I see it backfire. You're right. And, and, and when he called that timeout, we were able to set up our defense and talk about the do's and don'ts. And that was very important. Like, in that situation, I was telling my guys, keep everything in front. Don't foul. Yeah. You know, don't foul because, you know, they're being the bonus. No threes. Yeah. Threes will end our dream. So, you, you, you're right. You're right. You you know, if they could get it and just go, 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 it could have been very, very dangerous for us. So, I'm just fortunate to be, like you said, on the other side of it. Yeah, it, it's one thing to get beat because the other team made a, a really good play. It's something else when your guy fouls or, or, or you know, something just really dumb. So I, I feel you on that one, Coach. Let me ask you this, though. I, I feel like you guys are, are, are battle-tested, especially coming out of your area tournament. You guys were in a couple, of, I think, five-point games. That's got to only yes. help you moving forward, right? Yes. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Our area was extremely tough this year when, when – when we first found out that we were moving to 5A last year in the spring or so, we scheduled a tough summer, a tough off-season, because I knew the five, moving to 5A basketball was going to be extremely tough. And uh, my guys have responded ever since then. We've been working since then. 
And for we actually won the area, and that was huge. Because if, if not, you know, second, third, fourth place in our area, you're talking losing that first-round game, your season is over. So we were able to get first place, but we played Faith Academy. Our backs were against the wall. We, we were down 14 going into the fourth quarter of that game. And our defense wheeled us through that. We held them to two points for the entire fourth quarter and were able to win by five. And then St. Paul and LaFleur went into double overtime in their first round game. And yeah. St. Paul pulled it through at the buzzer, played a layup at the buzzer to pull through, and we were able to beat St. Paul in the area championship. And I played in a close game. We beat them by five. So you're right. The battle tested. That's what i kind of been telling those guys that that's what's going to wield us our toughness, our will. We've been in those positions before. Never give up. Play to the clock ticks on zero. And that will help us through last night. I could see, I told guys, keep playing, keep playing, keep pressuring, keep playing. So I think we were down three with like a minute. Keep playing, keep playing, and we were able to get it. And, but that's very, very important, especially at the high school level. You know, college level, collegiate guys, NBA guys, they have the experience. They've been in those situations before. But high school guys, you know, it, it, it can be very pressurous to them. And um, by getting that experience, it really helped us. Really, really helped us on this event. Jackson, Vigers coach. So what's next for the uh, Viger Wolves? Uh, next, we got uh, a big-time matchup Monday at 1.30 in Montgomery in the Gary Coliseum against Charles Henderson. Uh, very tough team, but I like the matchup. Their team very similar to us. Very similar to us. Um, very athletic school, um, good football background. A lot of their players play football, and they play basketball, so they're athletic, very tough. But I like the matchup. The guys are excited about playing in the Coliseum up in Montgomery. Um, it's just going to be very exciting. I like our chances. We're going to be strategizing, trying to come up with a plan to get us that win. There's only four games left. And the entire five, this is week 16. So we're excited to make it to this point. We just got to finish to do the small things, make our free throws, and believe in one another. It's all about surviving and advance. The great Jimmy V from NC State, who won the national championship in 1983, has a documentary called Surviving and Advance. It's great. That's what we're going to lean on to go through these playoffs. Well, congratulations, Coach. Uh, you know, as far as Montgomery is concerned, it. It, it's a it's a long drive, but at least the complex is awful, so that ought to be fun. But best of luck, man. Uh, it should be uh, congratulations and all the success, and uh, we'll be rooting for you. Uh, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you all. How many venues are there up there for two? Or I think there I think there are two in Montgomery. And you, I know. I'm I'm thinking back to last year. You did mention that one of them's not exactly yeah, your a fa not a place you want to visit after you win yeah, a MVP. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not nice. It's not good. Is that where are you playing, Garrett? Where, yeah, is that a good one? Yeah. yeah. So what's what are the two then? The Coliseum he mentioned. Uh, I'll have to look at the name of the other one. And I don't, I've never been to the other one, so I don't know. The other one might be might be great. I don't know, but that one's not. It's it's just awful. That's where they do the rodeos in the monster truck. Uh, <laughs> It's where they lay the floor down out in the middle. There's like this huge oh, no. floor, so like it's, you're like a mile away from the floor. Well, it's terrible. Years ago, when South Alabama got into the well, when Arkansas Little Rock came into the Sun Belt, we started making trips up there, and now they have a nice gym. Okay, but back then, for years, we'd I forgot the name of the place, but that's where they had rodeos, and you could smell it. It was like you felt it. 
uh, you just felt you were you at a, a rodeo or auctions and, and things like that. It was in one of that type of venue. So I know I, I feel your pain. Uh, all right. So we've asked the question. Uh, typically, traditionally, winners of the Super Bowl are headed to Disney World or Disneyland. If you had a, if you just won the Super Bowl, where would you go? Nick said Japan. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that would. I, th- I think they're just looking for like a a day trip and then get you on the talk shows and things like that. That might. No, there's no that. restrictions here. You just won the. You just won the MVP of the Super Bowl. You can go wherever you want. Yeah, but there's no going? guarantee they're gonna pay for a trip for Japan. You just want again. Who? You're you're NFL superstar, man. You can afford a trip anywhere, Lee. Where are you going? I told you, I have. There's no place that sticks out. What about you? Where do you want to so, go? So, so uh, the I've been to all the places face. he I'm mentioned. I'm going to the Bahamas. I'm going to Hawaii. Um, and I've been the there. Two. Well, I've been there too. I'm been, going back. Have you been to Hawaii? I have. Okay. Lee, so you just win the Super Bowl, right? The Gatorades, you know, dripping off your clothes, the confetti's everywhere. Camera runs up to your face. Lee Shervanian, you just won the Super Bowl. Where are you going to go next? I think I'll go back home to Upper Saddle River, New Jersey, just to visit. I'm only right. kidding. Man, I'm only the, kidding. The, the, the tourism department up there at Upper know, Saddle River, yeah. New Jersey. Is no, first like, of all, it'd what? have to be a warm weather area. Where have I not been? Lee would be on air, like, breaking it down. Well, it'd have to be warm. Yeah, it'd be warm. Uh, are you guys paying because... Right, camera guy's like... Yeah, wrap it up, wrap it up. We got to get to that post game with Terry Bradshaw calling everybody fat. Let's go, hurry right. up. Go get a cheeseburger, let's go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, congratulations to uh, all the high school teams, by the way, that advance uh, to Montgomery. Sweet 16. Um... Coming up, up. Oh, someone said Bora Bora. They're going to Bora Bora. There you go. Now we're talking. You know what? I think I'll pick Aruba. Aruba. I've been there, but it's been so long. I had a good time there. Oh yeah. Was that a was that a little honeymoon or was that no. like just a summer summer vacation you went? It was a very nice time we had a whole week there. But it's changed wow. a lot since I've been there. But that was probably one of the best trips I've ever had. Actually, a, a trip that, uh, Chris, I wouldn't say this after winning the MVP, but we are going to Europe in August, so I haven't been there. Yeah, it's, it's when you say Europe, it's a little general. It's it not is re- general. It's not real specific. The Roman Colosseum, maybe. Visit the Roman Colosseum. All right. Say hello to the Vatican. Okay. All right. You're going to uh, go do the whole gladiator thing? That's, are you not entertained? We haven't gotten to that point yet. We haven't mapped it out. But I'm trying to think in the United States where I really – I've never been to Alaska. That would be a good one. I think I'd like to go to Alaska. Maybe take an Alaskan cruise? Yes. That's what I think I'd like to do. about that 651 a little early in the morning but already the uh revelry starts here on the opening kickoff if i were you i'd be the first one to get on the phone and get nick uh at 694-1055 our wnsp days of a revelry continue that's right be the first one and just like that you get a gift bag from one of our local businesses why because we're wnsp and it's mardi gras that's why how about that lee pretty good good way to good way to start the morning right 
I would say so. Swag bag from uh, WNSP. Do we know what's in it? Uh, we have not announced, and I'm kind of curious myself. I know it changes from week to week. From day to day, it's uh, it's something. Uh, yesterday is a Rooster's gift card. Today, I don't know. Nick hasn't told me. I bet you he will when uh, when he uh, gets off the phone and gets gets the winner. You know, we do have a Chick-fil-A giveaway coming up, and I mentioned it early because I was reading this uh, story. Bob Nightingale, USA Today, was talking about baseball had a press conference this week to announce their rule changes. And they're going with pitch clocks this year. Yeah, you see? I'm telling you. And the clock has never been a factor in Major League Baseball till this year. So pitchers are going to have to abide by the pitch clock. But the reference was to Chick-fil-A that they claim last year the average time between pitches was 3.9 minutes. And it was brought out in the story that you could get served a Chick-fil-A quicker than between pitches, yeah. which caught my attention. Uh, Storm is the winner. He was the first one to get Nick on the phone. So the days of revelry, at least for this day, goes to Storm. Uh, congratulations. Uh, you get yourself a little uh, swag bag from WNSP. All right, you guys can jump in, 694-1055. The Roosters gift card, he's getting a Roosters gift card today? Excellent. Congrats to to you, Storm. Thanks for listening to WNSP. Uh, Lee mentioned it. You'll get a little uh, Chick-fil-A shot at some point a little bit later. And Paul Paul Feinbaum coming up at 7. We'll talk about Travis. We talked about it earlier. He was mentioning about Kirby Smart hiring Mike Bobo. That'll certainly be a topic that comes up later. here at 7 o'clock with Paul Feinbaum, uh, among other things. Another topic, too, um, and I know this has been discussed a lot, Paul's preference or where he thinks the SEC is going with their future scheduling. Now that we know Texas and Oklahoma are coming into the conference a, a year earlier, and according to reports, Mark, I have heard, although unconfirmed, they already know which direction they're going in. This is what I heard. I don't know. I don't remember the name that was applied to this, but that there's actually on the books now, they know where they're going with this. I'm assuming it's the nine. I say I'm assuming the nine-game schedule with the uh, three uh, definite uh, teams and then, of course, the rest of the um, schedule. But I, I'd like to get Paul's view on this. Maybe he's got more inside information than I have. Okay. Uh, so uh, jump in. Auburn basketball, high school basketball. We talked about uh, Auburn just took it to them, man. Took them behind the woodshed yesterday. Uh, it was and then, incredible. That I'm watching this game, and at one point, it was like around 30 to 6. Now, okay, you're. I know you're the visiting team. Missouri was like 19 and 6, I think. They have more quad one wins than Auburn does. They actually, if you go back on their schedule, they have a – a better I well they do they have a better record than Auburn and so you'd expect it to be a competitive game and they're down 30 to 6 and Mark I don't know if I've seen a style of basketball like that in quite some time all they do is first person over shoots I mean there's nobody under the under the glass they don't pass off and obviously it works for them because they have a very nice record I guess it's I guess it's easy to recruit guys to come in and play basketball like that but there's no structure yeah well, uh, it, it has its finer points. It also uh, tends to get you in trouble a little bit, too. So, uh, 
But you guys can jump in on that. And we've also asked you if you just won the Super Bowl, where would you be going? The popular, uh, the popular response is Disneyland or Disney World. But we've gotten a couple of different. Uh, no one, no one said Universal. No one ever says Universal. Yeah, and the thing about it, if you go to Disneyland, I don't unless they've changed. I, I haven't been to Disneyland in my gosh since the seventies, so I don't know. I don't think they have all the theme parks there. I think it's it, well. When I went, it was just Disneyland. The rides just like you would get, you know, at the regular, you know, Disney. Now, of course, Disney World has got all those other parks going for it. I don't know if they have that in California. Maybe they need to get super specific. Nick, you just won the Super Bowl. Where are you going? I'm going to Epcot. <laughs> no, it well, doesn't. See, I don't think they. I do have to check it for me. I, I don't, don't think I they don't, have that I, in California. I don't think Disneyland. I think it's just Disneyland, yeah. like you were saying. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to Pandora. Stop. What? That is the best ride in Disney World. I haven't been since they built that. Yeah. I'm uh, trying to go chill with the Navi. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people that, that listen to the show that wish you would. I want to sit on the back of a banshee and feel it breathe underneath my legs. Hey, now, what kind of show are we talking here? <laughs> That's crazy. That is, that's actually the coolest ride in Disney World, by the way. You, you, you would actually, uh, you would actually enjoy that. I'd go all out, man. I'd paint myself blue oh, that day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, you know, all the pictures that are coming out of Patrick Mahomes at Disney World. Just imagine if he was, he painted himself blue, for Avatar World. That's what I would be doing if I was the Super Bowl winning quarterback. Yeah. Would you be, uh, would you be, uh, tweeting out about, um. Uh, on Valentine's Day about uh, James Bradbury? Maybe. I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was. Probably a little too soon, poor guy. Mm. But uh, but better yet, if, if somebody tweeted that out about your teammate, would you respond on social media? That, I, I guess that's the question. A.J. Brown really came for like his throat, I feel. Yeah. I feel like I would have just tried to be um, a little tongue-in-cheek with it. Try mm. and keep it light, but... Dude's obviously upset. That's what I'm saying. It's probably a little too soon. Emotions a little high there. For those that didn't see it, uh, Juju uh, Smith-Schuster did a happy Valentine's Day, everybody, and did a uh, picture of James Bradbury with the words, I'll hold you when it matters most, which is actually quite comical. Uh, A.J. Brown took exception to it uh, and and retweeted it with a message of his own, and then they kind of got into it right there on uh, social media. So good times. Everybody was having fun. Sounds like uh, Super Bowl continues to give us content. Uh, oh, and by the way, we mentioned in hour number one, too, uh, Derek Carr now officially available. New Orleans Saints fans. What do you Wait, think? New Orleans fans or Atlanta fans? I guess I both. haven't seen Atlanta mentioned yet. I've seen the Panthers. Oh, that's not to say that Atlanta won't get involved. Um, I th- See, here's the deal. If you could have made a trade for him, you, pro- you wouldn't have had to get into a bidding war, but now you're going to get into a bidding war with this guy, and I don't know if the Saints can match other teams with how, their cap. How is it that all NFC South teams are running to uh, place help-wanted ads for quarterbacks, man? That's crazy. No wonder why the, comp- why the division was so terrible this past year. Throw Tampa in there also. Right. Right. Hour number two. Paul Fonbaum. Here he comes. Bob Rathman, the voice of the Hawks. It's going to be a good one. Chris Stewart now are number three, and Richie Riley as well. We're just rolling along here on a Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shervanian. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 7.05, hour number two here on a Wednesday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee from the studios at WNSP. So we get uh, Paul Feinbaum a day early because we want to talk about Alabama-Tennessee basketball. We have the broadcast tonight at 6. Paul, welcome to the show, and I do appreciate you making yourself available. I know it's a busy week for you. Uh, Paul Feinbaum, of course, with the SEC ESPN. Uh, Before we get to some of the issues we have, Basketball big on your uh, agenda, like a Tennessee Alabama game, especially tonight. Well, it has it has gotten that way. Yeah, we had uh, Nate Oates on yesterday from Knoxville, and you know, it's really uh, it's, he said something quite interesting. So he, he said he went by to see Nick Saban on uh, on Tuesday morning uh, just to find out what it's like to uh, be number one in the country. Uh, I started to say well, you should have gone over to Athens and asked Kirby Smart. Yeah, but. He, uh, he, uh, it, it, all kidding aside, I mean, he, he, he was more talking about just the pressures of, of, ha- of hanging that, uh, of handling that. And I, I thought uh, he, he also said Saban has been to a game or two this year. He came to the Kentucky game. He, he doesn't come to too, too, too many games, uh, I would say, because he just can't watch the game. People will not uh, leave him alone. They're asking for autographs and selfies and all those things. Uh, but but ultimately, uh, you know, what he's done is remarkable. I remember the last time, as some of you, as you guys probably do, and Mark Godfrey had Alabama at number one. It lasted. Uh, uh, I think I had a cup of coffee, and they were already uh, they had already lost. Isn't it amazing, though, in this state, Alabama? Of course, you know you used to be a, a big time journalist in this state. Now you've moved on to nationwide uh, status. But here's Auburn number one at one point last year. Now Alabama number one. Who would have thought? It's it's remarkable, and on one level, on the other hand, very few people, Lee, as you know, remember what your ranking was in the middle of the season or even in the final stanza of the season. College basketball is such a March-oriented sport, and and I think that's what concerns Nate Oates. Uh, Not so much tonight. Because he knows uh, this will be a uh, probably his 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 biggest SEC road challenge. But it's just that all people remember is did you go, did you go to the tournament? What did you do in the tournament? And ultimately, uh, how did you how, how did you finish the season? So let me ask you another subject. Do you know what direction the SEC is going schedule wise when Oklahoma and Texas come in in '04? I don't think anyone uh, knows exactly how it's going to land, although uh, I do know, Lee, that they've looked at countless models, and we're talking 40, 50, 60, 70 different possibilities. I think the most likely scenario is we uh, go to a nine-game season, we do away with the divisions, and every school has three other permanent opponents and then rotate everyone else in, And, and if that is the case, then Alabama and Auburn will see everyone else uh, over a two-year period. 
Paul Feinbaum, he's our guest here on WNSP. You mentioned Georgia, a little change there with coordinators. I think a lot of people kind of baffled by uh, Kirby's latest move. Your thoughts? Well, I think on surface, it's a big blow. Uh, you, you have something going like they did, and, and Todd Munkin uh, did, did certainly a good job. Uh, you know, I don't want to give him too much credit, considering he nor Kirby Smart nor anyone else really wanted Stetson Bennett to be the be, be the starter, and he turned out to be, and he won two national championships. But there was a level of confidence with him. But ultimately, Georgia won the national championship the last two years primarily on defense, although uh, in the Ohio State game it was the offense that that uh, kept them in the game. But you know, there, there's, a, there's a little apprehension about Bobo, Mike Bobo, but primarily because of what he's done at other schools. Uh, he, he, he put up big numbers under Mark Rick. He failed elsewhere because he didn't have the players. Uh, but if you're going to replace someone, you, 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 you're probably better off going with someone who has great, uh, a coach who has great experience. And Bobo certainly has that. See, I think you hit it right on the head when you said he had better players. I mean, to me, that's, that's what makes a really good coordinator. Yeah, you can uh, you know go find me the greatest offensive coordinator in history, and could he have made a difference uh, at South Carolina three years ago or at Auburn two years ago? And the answer is no. Paul Feinbaum is our special guest. I want to get back, if we can, have some fun with it just for a few minutes. Okay, Alabama, three opponents, uh, permanent. Who would they be? Who would you think they would be? Take a guess. Well, Auburn will be number one. Uh, that, that that's absolute. I, I, I'm I'm guessing that Tennessee will be the second pick. And I really think the third is a wild card, Lee, uh, and some of it's going to depend on the other side. And what I mean by that is do you, uh, you, know, you don't want to just throw Alabama up against anyone because let's say another school has two monster opponents. Uh, you can't make Alabama the third. So I think it will be something regional. Uh I don't think it will be LSU because I think then then you're talking about uh, you know, really putting a bunch of heavyweights in there. And uh, but I, I would say just a wild guess, Ole Miss, just for the sake of argument. All right, how about Auburn? We'll give them, got Alabama, Georgia. Yeah, you have Alabama and Georgia. I right. mean, I think those are automatic. And and then and then I think the third one is going to be the most difficult to predict. I, I interviewed uh, Chris Del Conte the other day from Texas, and he said, "Hey, we want." Uh, A&M, Oklahoma, those are automatics, and then we also want Arkansas. But I, I think the third choice where everyone is going to be the tricky one. I think most. Uh, I think we could go down the, the list right now and, and probably guess one or uh, probably guess two for most. Not not all like Vanderbilt. I, I wouldn't know where to go. Uh, but uh, most uh, the, the third one is going to be a matter of mixing and matching, I think. So that was going to be my next question. Do you think athletic directors or football coaches are clamoring to get Vanderbilt as a permanent opponent, bid, bidding for him, say, please give us Vanderbilt? Well, yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've been told, I mean, this has been going on now for, for some time. I, I remember, uh, Lee, you, you were there uh, in Destin last year. Uh, there was a big conversation about uh, working it out. I mean, I think they were pretty close to it then, and then the, and everything changed, and uh, the league was not as was, – it, was, it wasn't automatic that Oklahoma and Texas were coming in early. But I think they have a pretty good idea. When Greg Sankey told us the other day that 
they would they would have this wrapped up in 90 days. And I believe the coaches are meeting either this week or next uh, as a group. They'll they'll have a say, but. Ultimately, this is an athletic director decision. Yeah, and I would have to think, wouldn't Vandy go on Tennessee's permanent schedule? Wouldn't that be the norm, the norm? Vandy and Tennessee? You would think so. Uh, and Vanderbilt has always played Ole Miss. That has been their crossover, whether that continues or not. But, uh, you, but you can't – you just – I think you have to look at it, okay, who, who has to play everyone else? And then you just figure out a way to make it equitable. And, and, and you know, Vanderbilt is probably a safe bet, but – you know, some schools, by the way, Alabama liked playing Tennessee for about 15 years, and they probably don't like it anymore. Man, that's kind of two subtle jabs, Paul. You're on your game today, sir. I speak the truth, Mark. I don't know about you. Ask him about his vacation <laughs> if he won. Paul, if you had to, we were taking an unofficial poll today. If you were, uh, I love when Lee asked me to ask you something. Oh, uh, if if you had just won the Super Bowl, if you're not going to Disney World or Disneyland, and maybe you are, where are you headed? Oh, I'd be going somewhere south islands right now, uh, far away from uh, the cold weather as you could get. Uh, now, of course, I'd go to Disney Disneyland first, being a, a loyal Disney employee. That, that would be that would, that would be number one. But of course, where would you go? Uh, I was thinking uh, the uh, either Bahamas or Hawaii. It's been a, it's been a minute since I've been down in the Caribbean, so I'm, I'm gonna say Caribbean probably. I think Caribbean too, you know, and maybe even deeper, maybe Aruba, just to uh, you know, you know, go from the you know high seventies to the high eighties. <laughs> uh, quickly before we let you go, uh, we we kind of mentioned it with the uh, with the schedule, the fact that we have not had a chance to talk to you about Oklahoma and Texas. It's done; they're coming a, a, a year early. Is there is there one entity that's a winner in all this, and is there a loser that maybe that stands out in all in, in the whole Big 12 SEC Oklahoma Texas thing since they're coming a year early? I begun to, yeah, you know, I really be, I, I begin to hear some uh, reluctance from Oklahoma people. Uh, we had one of their uh, top writers on yesterday, Barry Trammell. Yeah. And you could you could hear it in his voice. Uh, I'm not sure this is such a great idea. Barry, Barry Switzer is coming on later. And he was he was pretty outspoken the other day, and and I, I think it's you know three years ago Oklahoma w- was gung ho. Uh, I've told you this before. I, back in 2015, somewhere around there, Oklahoma made overtures to the SEC. But I think I think with here's what here's why they are not so high on it right now. There are people in Oklahoma that believe that the the move to the SEC cost Oklahoma Lincoln Riley. The Lincoln Riley took a look and said, you know what, I don't need to play the SEC. I don't want to play in the SEC. I can go elsewhere and make a lot of money and be more successful. And the program has not been the same since. Uh, so I, I think that's the apprehension. Interestingly, Texas is gung-ho. Uh, they think they're ready for it. So uh, we're at the moment uh, of entry uh, in July of 21, we all thought Oklahoma was the more eager party. Uh, it's, it's reversed. And that, and that, to me, is a big story. Yeah. Hey Paul, uh, enjoy Disneyland or you know Aruba, Aruba. or wh- wherever your fast pass <laughs> takes you, sir. We'll talk soon. I will. Thanks, guys. Yep. Appreciate it. That's Paul Feinbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Aruba. So you and Paul could be hanging out. Aruba was the best island. I say island. I ever visited, uh, and it and it was remarkable because the trip started out bad, and it turned out great. Because I was booked for a one of those at, at the time, you got to remember this was back in the seventies, Mark, and there there was not much development there, 
not like it is today. I hear there's quite a quite a few places to stay. So they had they had me booked for something like the Sheridan, one of those bigger chain hotels. Something fell through like two days before we were supposed to leave. And so my travel agent somehow, some way, found this off I'll say it was down the down the beach place where you were really literally on the beach like and you walked out of your room and the sand would be blowing into your room. It was terrific. I mean, it to me was much, much better than staying at a chain hotel. Hmm. So it worked out well. Glad to hear it. 717. How about a scoreboard traffic and weather? What do you think, Nick? Pretty good. Uh, David Green will be along. Bob Rathbun, the voice of the Hawks. Uh, and Chris Stewart in hour number three along with Richie Riley. We've got plenty left. Stay with us right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff continues. Mark and Lee right here on the sports station WNSP. L.A. Law, that's Lower Alabama Law. We feature David Green of the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm. David, a big hello to you. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, fellas. Doing well. All right. The subject matter insurance. We've talked about this on many occasions, but obviously it's a major issue, especially not just insurance, but it goes further than this. And I'll let you take over from this point. Well, I'll tell you what, Alabama law requires that we have liability insurance on our vehicles. So many times people buy it and either they do not continue paying for it, um, and in addition to that, they waive what's called underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage. I'd like for everybody to make sure you have uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage. Many times people are hit by someone who really doesn't have insurance. And you think, well, gosh, if it's required, how do they how do they not have it? But a lot of times people will just not be able to pay their bill and not have coverage. But it's very important to make sure you have uninsured motorist or underinsured cover and underinsured coverage if you're struck by someone who does not have insurance or does not have enough. And I always tell people this, if you can afford something more than the state minimum for liability coverage, make sure you get enough underinsured coverage and let that match your liability. Everyone has a budget, and many times uh, folks cannot afford much more than the, or just the minimum. If you can afford anything more than the minimum coverage for liability, make sure it matches that your UM matches your liability. And if anyone has a question, always glad to sit in and talk about it. Very important to make sure you are covered in the event of an accident. So here's my here's my issue, and I you and I have talked about this. I, I, I don't I can't wrap my head around the idea that I have to buy extra insurance because someone is not doing their legal obligation of having insurance themselves. Well, 
and that's that's a great point. But what happens? Uh, we see it more times. It's it's shocking how often we see it. Yeah. Um, with a state law in place that you're supposed to have coverage, that people just simply don't have it. Right. And I mean, I'm telling you, probably you know, five out of ten people that come in the front door. Um, are going to be hit by someone who's uninsured. Maybe not quite that many, but really uh, there's a huge number of people that are hit by someone who does not have it or in the event that you are. And I've got a number of cases right now like this where someone is hit severely injured. Uh, the other driver only has a $25,000 policy. Someone has a severely broken leg or pelvis or something worse. And then you need underinsured coverage to, st- to stack on top of that. And, and that's where it, you really, the people, you know, bottom line is you can't get any more than their limits. People just are not able to pay it. If you've got a case that's worth $50,000 or $100,000, people just don't have that, that kind of money laying around. And so that's why you have to insure yourself against that bad driver or that bad actor to make sure you are covered. I know it doesn't make sense. It took me a lot of years to understand it, but it's something we have to face. Um, there are drivers out there right now that do not have enough coverage or do not have coverage, and you've got to insure yourself. You know, Dave, I've come through your front door, and I can think of at least two or three occasions where I've been hit, and the person that hit me did not have insurance. Well, that's true, and it, and it's just it's shocking. I think what happens, uh, folks will go in, and they'll pay that first payment to get their insurance card and get their tag and and, and you know, do what they do. And it's not that they're bad folks. They may just not have the money, but they, they don't make their payment. Their insurance is canceled. And there you go. You're down that road, that slippery slope of if they hit you uh, and they severely hurt you. And surprisingly, this does happen. Uh, many times people say, well, that's, that's just a, yeah, it may not happen. Well, you know, statistically, I may not get in a wreck, but once every six or seven years and uh, I'm playing the odds. And, and that's, you, you really need to make sure that you cover yourself. And you're only saving maybe the cost of a meal every six months, okay? So, you know, some of us could use, you know, as far as like going out meal, you know, what it would cost you to go to a nice restaurant. Uh, so maybe 50 bucks, 75 bucks uh, to have this coverage. Very, very important. And, uh, you, and if you need it, you're going you're gonna to really, really want it. David, thank you. Quickly, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. It's very simple. Uh, you can call us at 251-300-2000. Uh, come by 51 North Florida Street here in beautiful Midtown Mobile or go to the Forbes building in downtown Birmingham, 4th Avenue North. Hey, have a great week, David. Thank you for everything. Appreciate it. All right, guys. God bless. Take care. Bob Rathman, the voice of the Hawks, scheduled next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff, Mark and Lee. Continue with your comments in the app at uh, WNSP.com. 
It's the opening kickoff. Coming up, we'll talk to the voice of the Crimson Tide, Chris Stewart. That's uh, at 8 o'clock. And South Alabama coach Richie Riley said to join us here at 8.30. Well, that means we have uh, a lot of voices to talk to because uh, Bob Rathman's the voice of the Atlanta Hawks. You heard the insert coming in. And we're going to talk some NBA basketball with Bob. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, guys. How are you? Wonderful, Bob. Let's go over the. Uh, let's go over every single trade that was made. Every single second round pick. No, I'm only kidding. Um, besides the Durant trade. Besides the Durant trade. Was there any other trade that was made that you think will really affect the outcome when you get to postseason? Oh, I think. Uh... Kyrie going to Dallas is certainly going to change the look of the Mavericks. Um, you know, Luka is pretty hard to guard, and then you put another guy beside him, that could change. The one challenge I think, guys, that teams have, when you make significant changes this late in the season, you don't have a whole lot of time to incorporate the new players and get them to a level where you're going to go out there and win playoff games. I think the Clippers are sort of in that boat where they're trying to, you know, get everybody healthy and then get their new people integrated as well. Um, it's not it's not easy to do. Um, you often hear teams talk about how important training camp is and getting everything down early. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because this we play amount of time when you're playing in, in terms not in terms of the total season but in terms of four games in a week and three games in a week and all the travel you don't have a lot of practice time during the course of a regular season so to try to incorporate these guys on the fly is not an easy thing to do but i do think the the Kyrie addition in Dallas will change the dynamic in the West Zone. How it's going to end up, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, so much so that you feel they're a contender, or is Phoenix by far and away the favorite? Well, you have to go with Phoenix because they've been there, done that. I think everybody kind of feels that way around the league, that you had a guy like Kevin Durant, but he hasn't even played yet for his new team. Last night was the first time he showed up. Um... We'll see. I, I, the one team that I do not think is going to be a contender is Golden State. Why everybody keeps hanging on to the thought that Golden State is, is a contender it obviously is based on what they've done in the past. But this is not the same Golden State team. You can't go 7-22 and 22 on the road, which is what their road record is right now, and be considered a contender. Uh, they lost another one last night. They're not defensively anywhere close to what they used to be. Uh, this is a team that if they get an unfavorable matchup, they could be out the first round. What about in the East now? The, the, it seems like Boston and Milwaukee are, I wouldn't say prohibitive favorites, but they seem to be the class of the league. Where do you put the Hawks in that right now? Oh, I think clearly Boston and Milwaukee are the two dominant teams in the, not only the East, but the entire NBA. I think they're a cut above just about everybody. Um, I, I don't know what to make of the Hawks. Lee, to be honest with you, uh, Monday night was so disheartening. Uh, we gave up 144 points, 23 pointers to the worst three point shooting team in the league. Charlotte's won 16 games all season and three of them against Atlanta. 
and it really took a lot of the air out of the balloon. Now, we've got a really big one tonight with New York. Uh, the Knicks, I think, are better. You know, guys like Josh Hart come over and make an immediate impact. He had 27 the other night against Brooklyn in their victory Monday. I think this game tonight will portend whether or not the Hawks are actually going to be serious to threaten for the fifth spot. Not that they could get there, but at least make a run at it. Uh, the Knicks are ahead of them in the standings. If Atlanta wins tonight, they'll have the head-to-head tiebreaker over New York, winning the season series 3-1. to one. But it was so disheartening after Monday. I had no idea what's going to happen tonight. I thought we would carry a three-game winning streak into tonight's game and really put a, a great effort forward to beat the Knicks, hit the break, uh, you know, get over 500 by a couple of games and set yourself up for a nice stretch run. Now, I am not sure. If the Knicks win tonight, boy, that, that's going to be a tough blow. You know, Bob, you mentioned about backcourt combos and putting uh, uh, Kyrie Irving with uh, Doncic. How has it worked out with Atlanta? Because when Murray came over in the trade from the Spurs, it was thought that maybe the Hawks had a dynamic backcourt. Are these two working well together with uh, uh, Trey Young and uh, Murray? You know, I think it's worked okay. Uh, I wouldn't say great because we're a 500 ball club, but I think the the guys have had to adjust to each other. You know, Murray's a point guard, and he's used to having the ball in his hands. Boy Young has a usage rate that's been at the top of the league since he was a rookie. So you got two guys that are used to having the ball in their hands all the time. And Nate tries to stagger the minutes so that when Murray comes off, Trey's out there and vice versa, just to let them become the primary ball handler during the game while they're out there with the other guy on the bench. I think it's worked okay to answer your question. Uh, Murray's a dynamic player. He brings it at both ends. He's uh, a leader. He is uh, a guy I think that uh, players gravitate to. Uh, And Trey's had to adjust to that. Trey's numbers are down considerably in terms of his shooting. Uh, particularly his three-point shooting. And I think that's a part of trying to figure out how best to play with DeJounte. So even though Trey's overall scoring numbers are okay, uh, his assists have gone up dramatically. He's at 10 assists a game, which is outstanding. But the shooting has suffered, and you know Trey's never going to be uh, known as a lockdown defender. So uh, there's a lot going on there in that dynamic. I, to answer your question, I think it's been just okay. TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks, Bob Rathman. This is a play-by-play question. How soon do you know when you get to the arena whether players will sit out? Like last night, I think four Celtic starters didn't play. Do you get indications beforehand, like in press releases? And and how do you go about preparing, knowing that maybe some of the top players aren't going to be playing? Yeah, you generally find out the day ahead of time. The NBA, and it's available uh, to fans as well, uh, they have to post injury reports. And once they declare a player out, he stays out. So you'll know either the day before or at the very latest – the very latest, by 1 o'clock local time, day of the game, whether or not the guys are playing or not. But, Lee, there's only 17 guys, and generally uh, a couple of them are in the G League, and a couple of guys are have injuries that are out. So you've only got to deal with 13, 14. And 
it, it, once you've gotten to this deep in the season, you know the guys. Um, so it's it's not as uh, as perplexing as it could be. You, you're much it's much tougher in college when you you know none of this exists. You know the coach will tell you ten minutes before tip off that you know Joe Blow's not playing, and that that really does affect the broadcast. But in the NBA, we know pretty much uh, who's in and who's out. Like for the Knicks. We got their injury report last night, and the only guy that's out is Mitchell Robinson. The other two guys are in the Jeffries and Keels are in the G League. So we know uh, the guys that they got, and uh, you prepare accordingly. But has load management got out of hand this year? Do you see it any worse than any other year where key players are sitting out? It's the biggest fraud perpetuated on the American sporting public in the history of professional sports. This is a joke, Lee. And what it is doing... It is sending the message to the fans that the regular season games are not that important. I'll give you startling numbers over the weekend. The audience on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, this is a day that America takes off to watch sports. Whether you're a fan, not a fan, everybody's watching sports on Sunday. The dedicated diehard sports fans are watching the other basketball games, the golf, leading into the Super Bowl. On Sunday, we had the Celtics and Memphis on ABC, okay? LSU, South Carolina women on ESPN. That audience got just 600,000 less viewers on cable than Boston-Memphis did on ABC. Now, it was a big college game, of course. The golf practically doubled what the NBA got, the Phoenix Open. Now, if I'm in the NBA, I'm saying, why is this happening? I got the best team in the league, Boston, against arguably the second-best team in the West in Memphis. And the Phoenix Open golf blew us out of the water, and the women's game on ESPN had just 600,000 less viewers. And I think the reason is... We have told our fans, because of load management, the regular season doesn't matter. Our stars sit out because we got to keep everybody, quote-unquote, healthy for the playoffs, which, of course, is a bogus argument. You have no idea when players are going to get hurt, whether it's preseason, regular season, or postseason. But if I'm the league, I'm taking a look at that. They came out, Lee, yesterday as a way to get over this load management hurdle to say we are going to institute minimums. If, if it passes, they're going to institute minimums in terms of games played to be eligible for postseason awards. Like you can't make all NBA. You can't make MVP. You can't make, uh, you know, first, first team all league or whatever the statistical uh, awards are at the end of the season. You cannot be eligible unless you meet a threshold minimum of games, and I think that is a step in the right direction. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Do you have much interest in All-Star Weekend, which is coming up? Any particular event that strikes your fancy? Um, I do because, you know, we got A.J. Griffin and the Rising Stars on Friday night, so I think that'll be fun to see A.J. Uh, you know, as, as much as it gets bashed, uh, I think there's still interest in the slam dunk. Uh, you know, Nick's going to be a judge, so I'll watch it, you know, for him. Um, I think 
it'll be fun to watch, even though he's, you know, not with us anymore, but we love Kevin Herter, and he's in the three-point shooting contest. So I, I still will put it on. I, I don't have much interest in the game itself because the players have turned it into a joke. But um, I, I'll, watch, I'll watch Friday and Saturday for sure. All right, before I let you go, prediction on the three-point contest, because that's the only one that I seem to recognize some of the players. Uh, Buddy Hill's the defending champ. Lillard's in it. Tatum's in it. Uh, you want to pick a guy to win it? Hero's in it? Yeah. Oh, my sentimental favorite will be Herder. Um, the, the, the key in the three-point contest is if the guys take the time to practice taking the ball out of the rack. You know, they're so used to having a, a catch-and-shoot, you know, warming up, practice in the games. It's very different when you've got to reach over and take that ball out of the rack. So I think the guys that put the time into it do a practice taking the ball out of the rack will be the ones that do well. I think on Friday we said Aaron Rodgers Tuesday is going to happen. So everybody that watches our show heard us say it. And I'm not saying we're in the inner circle, but like you said that to us that we're going to do it. So like I think there was a lot of people that were questioning it immediately, but a lot of those people potentially don't watch our show. So then whenever Rappaport reports it on it, and by the way, we put him through a series of questioning. AJ, didn't we? AJ, didn't we? Oh, yeah, he knows, but he was standing by his source, so I knew this might be tough. Well, and shout-out to his source who's not in the inner circle. Nope. That's a fucking tough Tuesday, whoever that person. 751, welcome back in. The opening kickoff, uh, Mark and Lee. Is that McAfee? Indeed it was. We dropped the uh, F-bomb. Or we could just pretend like it didn't happen. Okay, or let's we could pretend. just, just like, sit there I- and... I'm, I'm I just not one played the him. clips I'm told to play. Oh, here we go. But you didn't play Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that's what I was looking for was Rodgers. Yes, no. So there are three no of us here today. There's a chance only two of us will be here tomorrow, but we'll figure that out Well, it usually falls on the board up. Usually. But since he's got a new title now, I don't know. He's management. Uh, our apologies. Yes. Do we have Roy? Can we get out of this with yeah, Roy? Yeah, we do have Roy. Oh, good. <laughs> Help us. Roy Hudson is the uh, president of Community Bank. By the way, Roy, thanks for the invite last weekend. Super event. Really was. Oh, it was a, it was a fantastic marketing event. The weather didn't go like we wanted it to, Lee, but uh, the venue and uh, the fellowship, all that was just fantastic. We were very pleased with the, the results. Were you, were you out sure. there on the throw with the uh, parade? What was that? I'm sorry. Were you, as the paraders were going by throwing stuff, did you throw community bank beads at them? (laughs) No, we did not. We were on the receiving end for that, Uh, but all the guests left with one, I'm sure. Indeed. All right, let's bring us up to date on the activities with community bank. I know we've talked about a a fifth location down there at Gulf Shores. Where we stand with that? And it is coming along. I saw some pictures last week. They've got the sheet rock. They're going to start putting in the mill work. So probably uh, springtime, we'll, probably late spring, it'll be open down there. So everyone with a, uh, a condo or a beach house down there that's traveling over will have a uh, spot they can jump in if they need to and handle some uh, banking affairs. But, yeah, we're very excited about that. It rounds out the uh, – the offices for us, and we're, we're excited for that thing to come online. Are we excited about interest rates now? Oh, very excited. That's the one thing we've been extremely busy with. People are taking advantage of it, and I, I, 
uh, would think that most people now have heard that the, uh, they keep raising these rates, and but the effect of that is the money market rates and the CD rates are finally to a point where they're very attractive, and uh, I would encourage everyone to go in and come see us and talk about their, uh, their deposit accounts and how we can help them. Roy, oh, go ahead, Mark. Uh, I was just going to say, Roy, it was uh, good seeing you the other day at the Senior Bowl, man. Uh, thanks for everything you do. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, now that was a fantastic day that day. That the weather was beautiful, and that's just a great event. I'm so I'm so proud of Mobile hosting that, and I hope we can continue to do that for a for a long period to come. Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks. Have a great one. All right. Thank you. That's Roy Hudson Community Bank. Chris Stewart's going to join us here in about five about seven minutes or so, and then Richie Riley as well. We'll have some Chick Fil A for you in uh, hour number three. A chance for you to win some of that. In the meantime, you guys can jump in at six nine four one zero five five. Uh, we have uh, plenty to talk about Auburn hoops, uh, as well as uh, we uh, a little uh, back and forth on social media with some uh, Super Bowl participants. I wanted to ask you, I, did you catch Bob's interview where he said I asked him about load management, and he said, in his opinion, it's the biggest fraud in sports, makes the NBA regular season totally meaningless. Uh, I, from a fan's perspective, I could certainly see that. But if I'm a coach and my goal is to to get into the playoffs and have my team as ready as possible, um, if I feel like sitting a guy or giving him a break will help him in the long run, then I'm going to do it. You know what, Mark, though? Ten teams in each league, 20 teams make it to the postseason. If you don't get into the postseason, that's on you, Uh I'm, well, it's not about just being in the in the postseason. It's about being as successful as possible in the postseason. So, well, we all know that very few teams are going to win it. It's it's teams with the all stars and things like that. We already know. I mean, would you be surprised if Boston or Milwaukee doesn't win the East and or Phoenix? And I'm not sure who else in the West. Would you put Memphis up there? I, I'm not sure. It's I don't have an answer on that one. I mean, I don't like I don't like the idea of load management, but I understand why people do what they do. I mean, if it if I feel like giving somebody a day off will make uh, put them at more of an optimal performance level the following day, then well, you're talking from a coach's standpoint. I understand that, but what if you took your sons down to see the Pelicans play Golden State, and and well, Curry's out anyway. That's not a good example. Let's say he went to see Boston, like last night, four of their starters were out. Right. No, I, I just got finished saying I as a fan I get it. I, I mean I'm not I'm not arguing with you. I, I, I understand both sides of it, but like I'm saying, at the end of the day, those coaches and those players are judged by the success they have and success is measured by playoff appearances, how far you get into the playoffs. And we we we, we want to try to make the regular season important, but breaking news in the NBA, the regular season isn't important. There's just there's too many games. It's the it's key hard. Is, yeah, it's there are too many games. They need to cut the schedule down. They've already talked about this many times before. It will eventually happen um, because there's too many games to care about. No one even starts caring till around this time. You're yeah. doing all the load management till about this time when the games start to matter. Uh, so, so yeah, why it'll Nick, all be fixed eventually. Nick, so why back when a few years ago when Jordan was playing, even back before that, Bird and Johnson and, and back when I started, they still played the same amount of games. Why was it not a big concern then? And players played every game unless they really were hurt. We live in a different world now. With uh, social media and everything, there's so many things that can catch your eye and get your attention. Uh I think it's more of a um, 
more so than social media. I think it's just today's athlete, as they were growing up in that same time frame that you were talking about, that's when year-round basketball started evolving. That's when guys were – there was no off-season. There is no off-season for guys that pick one sport. They're constantly playing. Um, is there uh, – I also think with the way that guys physically develop and the, and the, um, and the evolution of uh, fitness, the fact that these guys have such little body fat now, I think actually – um, I, I actually think they're, they're, there's more of a chance of them getting hurt, in fact. And I think when they do get hurt, I think the, this, the injuries are more serious. Well, and, have, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but they have trainers, they have special trainers, they have, they have diets and all that. I can't – I ever recall Michael Jordan ever sitting out a game. I, I mean, he may have uh, – but even when he had the flu, he played, right? Well, and, we, and when I was saying social media, like, Today's climate with this ring culture that we've all created, the only thing that matters in basketball to a lot of people is how many rings do you have? Oh, you dropped 45 points last night? Doesn't matter. Do it in the playoffs. Everyone, as long as everyone keeps saying that, the players are going to start hearing that and interpreting that as, you know, I'm just going to sit out and... Uh, when we make the playoffs, then I'll start playing for real because that's the only thing that matters to Yeah, you know, and I, I never got to fans. the story, Mark, maybe later in the hour, about 600 fake championship rings in all sports being confiscated. Why are you taking my fake ring, dude? Yeah. It's my fake, ring. My ring. Whether it's real or not, what do you care? Uh, Chris Stewart's next. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 804, hour number three. Welcome back in. It's the opening kickoff, Mark and Lee. From the studios of WNSP. All right, some of our top stories. Derek Carr, a free agent. Arizona and Indianapolis fill their needs for a head coach. As they, the coordinators from the Eagles have left uh, one to go to uh, Arizona Gannon. And Streichen goes to the Colts. It's confirmed that the USA national men's soccer team, Mexico and Canada, will each qualify for the 2026 World Cup. That's like a first. And I mentioned uh, coming out of the... Last segment, and the uh, law enforcement agencies in South Carolina have confiscated some 600 fake championship rings across four major U.S. professional sports leagues, uh, with 157 of those being Super Bowl rings, 83 NBA finals. I could go on and on about this. So far as they investigate, no arrests have been made. Guy with us on the line may now be getting a ring. Uh, with Alabama and the success they're having. They're the number one team in the nation. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide. Chris, how does that echo? Number one in the nation. How's it sound? Yeah, it, it sounds really good. And look, you're exactly right. There are no rings given for 
for where Alabama is right now and for what they're what they're doing. But I do think there's significance given the fact that it's only happened once. It's never happened at this stage of the season before. Um, and I'm I'm still not sure this team has hit the ceiling for what they can be. But you know, I, I will say it's big from a national respect standpoint, Lee, to to see your name atop the standings. But it also means a lot among your own fan base. We're we're well aware there's a large segment of the Alabama fan base that really and truly would consider themselves to be Alabama. They say they're Alabama fans. They mean they're Alabama football fans. And I don't say that in a critical sense whatsoever. It's just a fact. Uh, And for Alabama football fans, they get behind softball because Pat Murphy's won a national championship and and normally has them among the top teams in the country. Uh, They've been able to celebrate men's and women's golf, winning a a national championship. They understand and respect that. They they follow um, gymnastics to a degree because gymnastics has won multiple national championships. They, they understand championships at the highest level. So now basketball, while it's not a championship, uh, it, it is a number one ranking, and that gets their attention. So when you've got what's already a great core and a large number, far, far larger than many people realize, of Alabama basketball fans that uh, are joined by the uh, the ones that are primarily or really and truly only football fans now getting behind them and have their attention. That's a lot of eyeballs just among your fan base, and that's a special thing to have. And uh, and hopefully it's not something that will, you know, it's also very rare to, to have the number one ranked football and basketball teams in the same year. Uh, unfortunately, that number one ranking came to a close after a trip to Knoxville, and hopefully that won't be the same for basketball as well, but um, it's nice to be in this spot today. You just hope that's where you are two months from now. It surely would help if Beniaco is okay. Do you know his status for tonight for the Crimson Tide, the big center? Yeah, I I don't know his status for tonight. I do know that uh, he was on the the plane. He went through workout that they had last night, really just to shoot around uh, the regular night before a game routine. He took part in all that. So, uh, you know, Nate said yesterday that this would be a, a game, you know, probably a game day or a game time decision, and I think that's still probably the case. Um, and we'll, you know, I'll, I, honestly, I will find out probably when everybody else does, uh, when the ball goes up and see if he's out there or not, or maybe even comes off the bench in, in this game. But um, it, it is the luxury. You don't have another seven-footer sitting over there who's got the experience and the skill that he does, but you do have a deep roster and you have multiple ways that you can play. And just because you don't have the seven footer doesn't mean you don't have size. It's, um, it's a team that's, that's obviously very long athletic, uh, can play with, with tempo regardless of who's on the floor. And that does include Betty Aco. I thought maybe the most impressive play he's made all year or as impressive a play as he's made all year. And he's had quite a few, um, Early second half, he jumped the passing lane against uh, Auburn out high with the, uh, the man he was guarding and takes two, maybe three dribbles and dunks the basketball. Uh, just a fantastic play in the open floor, which you so rarely associate with a guy who's seven feet tall. But uh, he, he did not look like a, a jackknife 18-wheeler going down an icy highway with no brakes. 
he he was smooth in making that play and, and getting the job done. And I think that's an example of of the type of skill set he has and athleticism and why he's he's tough to replace. But again, you've got numbers that allow you to play many different ways. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide, our guest here on WNSP. Uh, you, you talked about it a little bit on your broadcast. Pace seems to be so important for this team. Uh, they want to get up and down the floor, and you, and you kind of saw against Auburn in a very hostile environment what happens when you don't get up and down the floor. Uh, sure. how, how, how do they continue to be able to dictate the pace? Because they certainly had some issues with that against Auburn. Yeah, I think it's a matter of uh, one thing. you got to get the ball through the basket, and then when you get stops on the other end, you've got you've to gotta have the mindset of we're going to push it and go. You can't, you can't turn and look and then decide, oh, yeah, we're going to go. Uh, you know, because you're, you've given the other team the chance to get back down the floor. You've got you've to have that mindset constantly, and they do. I think, I think some of the atmosphere and the circumstances early in that game not had them freezing, but had them somewhat hesitant and maybe being a little more, uh, I, I hate to use the term patient because that's not a bad thing, right. but they were, they were um, I don't know that I've got a better one than that, though, Mark, to be honest with you. They, they maybe were too patient initially instead of trusting what they've done and done so well for so much of the year, and that's get it and go. And they, uh, at least in terms of attacking the defense, don't let the defense go and get set and then decide to run. You've got to run, see where the defense is, have them, have them on their heels, and then make your uh, determination of whether to back it out, set up the offense, or continue to attack and get to the rim if you can. So uh, I think you'll see more of that tonight. I really do. I think uh, – I don't think Tennessee uh, – I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's one of those you can watch on film, but you've got to see a team in person. Um, I think, you know, Tennessee had to go small the other day against Missouri. They could not use their regular lineup against Missouri. They were down 17 points, and Missouri was just too fast and too um, – you know, Missouri doesn't have any true, when I say a true big, I'm talking in the basketball sense, you know, a 6'11", 7-foot guy uh, running the, the half-court set. They like to get it, go, shoot the three, and they were knocking them down and had that thing to 17 points early in the second half against the balls, and then they made the change, went smaller and whittled it away and actually took the lead late in that game before they, they lost another heartbreaker at the end. So, um I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't use that look a little bit more, and if not from the start, at least earlier in the ball game, especially if Badiaco is limited in the minutes that he can go for Alabama. Chris, I got a broadcasting question for you. The difference, or maybe uh, some insight as to broadcasting at Neville Arena, where Alabama was yeah. Saturday, and at Tennessee, the difference of broadcasting those two locales. One seats over twenty thousand. Auburn, I think yeah. they seat around ten. Yeah, about 9,000 at, at Auburn, and they're on you, and it's loud. And, and we're by the bench now for our broadcast for years. When they first opened it up, we used to be on the uh, the opposite side, and we're right in front of the student section. And that can be a challenge, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, you know, it's really cool if it's the home team and you've got that atmosphere behind you. But if you're on the road, it, it's not as much fun. Uh, but they've moved us, thankfully, to the, the bench area. And uh, while you've got fans close by, 
it, it's not quite the same dynamic as having the students. You've got more space there in, in um, here in Knoxville, I should say, in, in uh, Thompson Bowling, big arena. Let me tell you, we went in last night for, for shoot-around, as I referenced earlier. It, it's probably my favorite building in the whole league. There, there are several good ones now uh, of the newer ones, but they redid Thompson Bowling several years ago. Um, one thing that helps just from a Bama standpoint, there's there's black seats that replace the orange. So the less orange you have, the more uh, the more appealing it is for my palate. But it's a uh, it's really a great looking facility, and they've done such a good job with it. And I think the the backdrop for shooters, with it being the the black seats and all of that, even though it's a huge facility, more than twenty thousand. It just has a, a closer feel and fit, and the sight lines, I think, are better from a, an offensive standpoint. And we'll uh, we'll see if that's the case or not. But it's it's a really cool place. It will be incredibly loud, as several places have been. And Auburn's Auburn does a fantastic job with their game day presentation. Their fans, you know, it's where it starts is with fans being there and being into it. But they do a lot of things with their game day with the sound and and the uh, the PA and all of that, that that add to that as well and really get it going for the home team. So it's, uh, you know, it's tough to, even though you got twice as many people or more, I don't know that it can get any louder than it is in, in Auburn, but it'll be loud tonight. There's no question about that. So if you had a concern about tonight's game uh, with Tennessee, now I've seen them play on TV I'm not all that yeah. impressed with them as far as shooting the basketball. But, again, I haven't seen them play every game. If there is a yeah. concern for Alabama, what would it be? They're, they're really good defensively. You've got to get into your flow and your tempo on offense. Uh, you need to make you need to shoot it better from three than Alabama did at Auburn. You know, made only six there and, and certainly have to shoot it better from the free throw line when you get there. Um, those are things that you can't afford to – to, to try and get away with. If Alabama hadn't been as good as they were defensively, then that would have been a loss Saturday at, at Auburn but they, because they didn't shoot it great. But they did from two. They didn't shoot it well from three. They've got to be able to stretch the floor. Uh, they've got to be able to, to play with the, the pace that they uh, are accustomed to and create problems that way. And, and if they do, then I think they'll have a chance to be successful as they have and in all the three games this year, but they've got to continue to defend at a high level. We talked about the offense for Bama, but the Tide's as good defensively as anybody else in the country as well. And if they do the job on that end of the floor, then then they're going to be in good shape. They can't afford to let Tennessee get going because they are Tennessee will defend. And uh, if you if you let them lock you, excuse me, if you let them get going on offense, then it can be a long night. All right, before I let you go, what's tougher, calling a game in an intimate environment like Auburn Arena right next to their fan base or hypothetically getting in, in front of those same 9,000 fans and putting a ball across a hardwood floor into a very small hole? Oh, there's no doubt. I had the infinitely easier task, but I will <laughs> tell you this. With that, game, with that game going as it was, and at the time Auburn had a one-point lead, yeah, and uh, – they bring out this. They bring out this thing, and I've seen this this uh, promotion before. I didn't say it, but it was in my head. Oh, there's no doubt this guy's going to make this putt. Yeah, you know, it's 94 feet. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but just it was the uh, 
I, I say this lovingly and respectfully, okay? I'm not trying. I don't. I don't want it to sound like I'm, you know, being the bitter, bitter Bama guy out there. I mean it with respect. It was the most Auburn dadgum thing that could happen to Alabama yeah. down there. I mean, it was it was almost the kick six type stuff. I mean, if it's goofy and can go against you, it's going to go against you if you're Alabama, and it did because when that when that putt went through, that place exploded. Uh, and just kept the environment going. Now, thankfully, Alabama's players managed all that pretty well, and uh, and obviously we know how it turned out. And, and it was cool to see, in, in all seriousness, it was cool to see a kid who I think not only has not played golf before, from what I heard, uh, didn't even own a car. So he he got got that opportunity, and if that's the case, and uh, it, it's really neat. It's again why I'm glad they. You know, it used to be you'd walk in, you just play the game and see what happens. But there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on when it's done right with game, with event management, game management. They certainly do that at Auburn. They've done a really nice job. Winning is what matters first for creating atmosphere. But they've complemented things very nicely down there, as do the people at Alabama and many other places uh, around the SEC. First, before I let you go, are you going to be doing double duty this week? Chick-fil-A I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, ladies and gentlemen, here you go. Lee Shervanian, hit it! Well, I may have to give this to you. You told me you didn't even eat last night. Yeah, I forgot to eat dinner. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll have to check around, see if we have some uh, extras to give away. Jalen Hurts had an outstanding game in the Super Bowl. I think everybody was raving about his game, even though he was on the losing end. He had 70 rushing yards, and that broke the record for a quarterback rushing in the Super Bowl. Who was the quarterback that previously held the record of 64 yards rushing for a quarterback in a Super Bowl? If you know the answer, 694-1055, or else Mr. Heim collects. Oh, I thought I was collecting regardless. You may. I'm, oh, okay. I'm thinking well, about it. I was I'm thinking, thinking more about like it. whoever calls, let me know. I'll meet you. We'll go grab some lunch. Or why don't we have what we often get? Why well, can't use it? I'll give it to somebody. <laughs> you know what it is? We have competitive listeners. They, there's a competitive fire, a competitive spirit. And so when there's a contest, the competitive juices get flowing. And the reward is the competition. I kind of sound like Nick now. Listen, it's the spirit. It's the competitive spirit. The reward is the competition. So <sighs> you went into a game last night hungry. Yeah, well, you know, it was one of those deals where I had to leave kind of before dinner time. So I was like, oh, I'll eat after. But uh, it got it got pretty intense. So, like, I wasn't hungry after because the adrenaline was kind of pumping. Yeah, for those who I might have gotten warned, by the way, by an official. I'm oh, well, let's hear this. Come on. What happened? Come so on. So there was a play where one of our guys went up for a rebound, got the rebound, and fell. Right? And they had one of – because one of – so there was a guy for theater that was on the ground. I think I'm telling this right. They went up for he went up for a rebound and fell over the guy that was down there, right? Well, ten times out of ten, the whistle gets blown. He's either calling a walk or he's calling a foul, right? No whistle. Instead, he's on the ground, had fallen with the ball, and a guy for Theodore, I can't remember who, grabbed the ball, put it in, they called an and one. 
so I guess this was just the 11th time, right? If it's 10 out of 10, this was the 11th time. And so I happen to be sitting somewhat close to the floor, right? I'm not high. Were you on press row? No, right. no, I am not a working media at these okay. games. Um, so I'm there for a couple reasons, but mostly so the referees can hear me. And so the official looked at me and said, do you want to stay in this game? Whoa. And he, sm- right. he smiled when he said it. Okay. And then, of Did course. Did you know him? Did you know the I official? know who he is. I don't know him. I don't know his name. Local? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, right. I didn't know local. if they bring in outsiders no, for these playoff no, games. No, no. Right. Uh, and so, uh, no, I can assure you they don't. Uh, and so, um, you know, it was loud, but I was front row so that he could hear me over others. But we got, we also got the next two calls. All right, too, let me so. ask you this then, Mark. I'm not uh, saying give me credit for no. getting those two calls, but give me credit. Um, when you go to Montgomery, when McGill goes to Montgomery, where do the officials come from? They can't be all local, I'm sure, right? Do they? Is uh, it a mixed crew? Uh, that what? I don't know. I, I, it could be that they're in Montgomery. I would say it's Montgomery because when you get to Birmingham, the way they officiate games is different. So I would say it's probably local crews. Well, let's hopefully, hopefully you get a, a chance to see how this officiated in Birmingham. Uh, the Daphne Trojans take the floor here in about two hours up there at uh, in regionals in Montgomery. So good luck to uh, those guys. Uh, all right, when we come back, the voice, no, the coach of the South Alabama Jags, Richie Riley, joins us next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back in. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. That doesn't get your adrenaline flowing for playoff basketball. I don't know what does. Richie Riley, our special guest now, and his team is doing quite well. They've won, I believe, five out of their last six, although maybe the one of the toughest parts of the schedule looming with the game against Southern Miss, a home game this coming Thursday. But I'll let the coach talk about that. Coach, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing good, guys. Good morning. Good. Bring us up to date. Your team seems to be rolling now, five out of six. But then again, for the tougher teams in the league on the uh, docket before you get to a postseason, how do you feel about all this? Yeah, we're playing. We're playing much better. Um, and and not that I feel like we had moments throughout the year. We've lost so many close. We've lost more games um, than than anybody for three, two, you know, under four. And we just they just kinda were snake bit there for a while and we've you know, a key a key way to not lose is if you lead for the whole game and I think I think out of the last six games we've led almost every minute outside of um, about five. So if you can keep the lead then you then it's hard for you to lose the game. So that's that's the plan moving forward. I wish they all worked out like that. Um, but I, I like where we're at. We do have a tough schedule. We got the league leader coming in on Thursday night, tomorrow night. Southern Miss, who um, it was, it was a tie game with them, with under a minute left at their place um, earlier in the year. So I like how we're playing. We got to keep getting better, and um, hopefully we'll be playing our best basketball 
here in a couple of weeks when we get to Pensacola. You know, Richie, uh, there is a strong Golden Eagle alumni base here in Mobile. That's a team, and I use the word Golden Eagle, they're flying under the radar. Every time I, I, I go to the scores, I can't believe that. So, that, what are they, like 20 and 4 or something like that? 21 and 3? They're having a fantastic year. Yeah, it's the best year they've had in a long time. Um, you know, we brought in a lot of key transfers. Um, essentially, the majority of their impact guys are new guys out of the portal. Um, Jay changed his whole staff. He hired three new assistants. Um, and, you know, they, they got it rolling. They're playing really well. Um, he does a great job coaching his team, and they got really good players. So it, it's going to be uh, – hopefully we'll have a good atmosphere. Um, we usually, when we play Southern Miss and Troy and a lot of these people, you know, that, that are our rivals because uh, of proximity, we, we usually get get a pretty good crowd. So I'm hoping that – I'm hoping it's rocking in here um, tomorrow night where we give our guys a little extra juice. Hey, I got a, a, a quick question. Um I believe last week the Lady Jag, the the women's team, they held like an 11 a.m. game. Now I don't know if I'm totally accurate on this, but it they they bring out a lot of students, and and I heard a figure somewhere in five to six thousand. Was that correct, or was that a little exaggerated? But if that's the case, have you ever considered doing that during the week to draw a student body to come out and help fill up the seats? Yeah, I think the majority of what they get on those games are elementary school kids. Yeah. Um, they bust them in, and it's a whole deal. And, yeah, I would be open to doing it. It's harder, though, for us. Um, I think I think the university and athletic department prefer for us to play in those evening slots so that um, our season ticket holders, you know, obviously would be at work during the middle of the day. And So it's a little harder for us to do that. But I would like to. We did it one time when I was at Nichols. And we had a great crowd. Like all the elementary schools um, showed up, and they were loud. You know, you know how kids are. I got, I got three of them wild me myself. And you know, they were loud, and it was a good atmosphere, and it was really cool. You know, a guy signed autographs after the game. So maybe we can, maybe we can set one of those up um, next year, where we can play one of those day games and get a lot of elementary school kids and middle school kids um, and mobile out for it. Well, just to stick it to your kids, man, invite every elementary school but theirs and see how that goes over at the house. That wouldn't go over very good. Yeah. I, I, I got to pick my battles because <laughs> I'm outnumbered. They, they like to gang up on dad. So if I, did, if I didn't invite them, they, they love the games. I don't know if you guys see them out there with their uniforms oh, yeah. on. And, um, they they love the games. They have, they have a blast. And You know, the cool thing about this year is a lot of their friends have been coming. Um, some people that work at the school over at Mobile Christian, they've been coming. Uh, so we, we grew our fan base a little bit. I think my kids are doing a good job of recruiting some fans. Is, is Reese the golfer that you've been talking about? Is that the son who's the golfer? He is. He's got the, yeah, he's got the Nationals this weekend. Yeah. Is he, uh, is, I'm already on pins and needles. I won't it? be there Saturday because we play. And I, I usually caddy, I've caddy for him every round that he's played in competitive golf. And, uh, yeah, it's in Destin, Florida. It's the top 108-year-olds in the country. They're coming from everywhere, California, New York. Well, he's probably... um, all, almost every state's represented. And those, those kids, they're good. You know, all those kids are really good. So this is his first real big one. He's played in some really good tournaments. But, you know, it's going to be a 100-man 100 100 field or kid field. 
So I'm, uh, dad's a little nervous. I don't know that Reese is as nervous as me, but I certainly am. Yeah, and I and I, I wanted to draw into this because I know we talk a lot about LeBron and the family, but how about, is he a big fan of Tiger Woods who returns to the Lynx uh, tomorrow, I guess, at the Genesis, which is quite a big story these days? He loves him. You know, it's, it's weird because he, he's seen all the stuff, kind of like Jordan, I guess, a little bit, you know, with kids. Is he's seen, we watch his stuff all the time. You know, the great part about YouTube is you can go back and watch all his historic rounds. You can watch a highlight tape. You can watch his interview. You can watch everything. So he watches a lot of that. And he loves him. You know, so he's pumped. And his group tomorrow, I don't know if you guys saw the page, but he's going out with Rory and, and JT, Justin Thomas. So they were two of his closest friends. So we're, we're excited to watch him, man. Um, but is he he has a decent appreciation for an eight year old kid of how great Tiger was, you know, through watching all the stuff. But um, he let, he watches golf relentlessly. You know, we were out on the course the last couple of days watching the Jags tournament, the Hal Williams Invitational. Um, so we saw a lot of the best college golfers in the country. But he he's a golf junkie, man. He watches it all the time. So you're you're as a you're probably more nervous as a parent getting ready to watch him compete than you are as a coach bringing your guys into the next Sun Belt battle. It's not even close, yeah. It's not even close. Isn't that crazy? Um, it, it is crazy. I've explained that to people before, you know, because I, again I caddy for him in basketball. You know, you're out there and you're coaching, and you know there's only so much you can do as a coach. Obviously, you make adjustments, you call plays, you substitute. Timeouts. We need call timeouts. You, you know, you have a game plan and things like that. You motivate. You know, you can do some things, but in golf, man, it's he's out there and it's him. You know, and you live and die by every shot, man. There's no no greater pressure than competitive golf. And and it's hard to believe. Like people, people that are listening to this right now are probably like, you know, they're probably damn crazy. But eight year old golf. <laughs> is really competitive sure these kids are really really good like you know my son can beat the majority of grown men that i know you know outside of really really good golfers and these other kids like reese is paired with the number 12 golfer in the country um so he needs to get in his head man and they take it serious and there's 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 just a, a pressure and an edge and you know sometimes i I feel I feel bad for him because it is that, and at a young age like that's tough. And uh, but it's making him tougher, and he's really getting better. He's playing well right now. Um, but this is his first. This is the first big show, so there's going to be some nerves for him. You, uh, but you got to play the the first. Got to play the first big one sometime, and you know there's no better time than this weekend. All right. So what advice do you give him? Do you go? Out, does he is he overly kind to his the guy he's uh, he's matched up with? Do you? Do you do you do you stare him down a little bit? Do you try to intimidate? Like what what are we doing here? What's what what which way do we go here? Yeah, you just focus on your game. That's what I tell him. You focus one shot at a time, and you know you go birdie hunting. You know, and you know sometimes you might have self some bars, but stay away from those bogeys. No three putts. Keep in the fairway. Uh, but confidence is so you know that's what I tell him. You know, don't don't get rattled like you belong in this thing because it's first one. You know, and you you belong in this thing, man. You work at it, works relentlessly, seven days a week on his craft, and you know he 
he's meticulous in his preparation. So, you know, he's working to get here. He's had to, you know, you got to go earn it to qualify for nationals. And, yeah. you know, he's only been doing this real serious for a year. He's already to this point. And a lot of these guys he's going to play against been doing it since they're four and five years old playing in these national tournaments. So, all right, well, go out there, and, you know, and, and, and have fun. You know, he's, he's kind of like dad. He doesn't like to, he doesn't have fun in the moment, you know. I've told him about that. I don't want him to be like me, you know. Have, have, have a little more fun. Smile a little more. Enjoy the moments. Well, you, you, you bring him by old Uncle Mark's here, and we'll, we'll load up the verbal arsenal for him before he gets to the competition. How about that? <laughs> oh goodness. Richie Riley, the South Alabama basketball coach. They'll be hosting Southern Miss tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Richie, I don't know if you have much time, and uh, you being a big NBA fan, of course, it's All-Star Weekend. Is there any one event that really is a must-see for you, whether it's three-point dunking, artistic skills, any any that you really gravitate to if you have the time? My favorite one right now is probably the three-point shootout. The dunk contest used to be the thing, you know. When I was a kid, all the big boys, they did it, you know. Yeah. You know, when I was really young, you had Dominique and you had Jordan in that showdown. And then you got to where you had Vince Carter and, you know, all these guys. Now these guys don't really, they don't like to do that. So that's not as entertaining. So I like the three-point shootout. I hate to Steph's not in it because he's hurt. But, you know, you get some guys like Jason Tatum and some of these guys that Dame Lillard, some of the really good players, they still like to do that. So, so I enjoy that. Um, All Star Weekend is just not what it used to be. It's just not like when I these guys, the the big time players used to value it more. Correct me if I'm wrong, you guys. You know, you've seen a lot of All Star Weekends. They used to value it more. Like they wanted to participate. Everything meant a little more. It's right now. It's just kind of not as good as it used to be. I agree with you. I do. And you know what? The other, I had Bob Rathman on, the voice of the TV Hawks, and we were talking. He has not much interest in the All-Star game itself. But the funny thing is, you know how they run up these huge scores, 150 to 140 and all that? Nowadays, regular season scores are, are quite similar to that. It's almost like it's, it's typical of what you see on the All-Star game is what you're getting during the regular season scores. There's no question there's a lot of nights where – where guys don't show up to compete and guard within the 82 games played. It, 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 it's life right now. It's frustrating for the common fan because they want to see these guys, the best in the world, go out there and compete like crazy every single night, one through 82, and then obviously in the playoffs. But they just don't. You know, they don't. There's certain nights these guys, nobody can convince me otherwise, so they go out here and they, 